Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, good evening. Welcome to Masterclass Theology. I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. And we have the honor of being in Ephesians chapter 4 tonight. This has been a great journey so far in Ephesians, hasn't it, Mick? It has. It has. Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 are amazing with their theology. And Ephesians 3, it wasn't a slacker either. It was a great lesson last week. If For those of you listening right now, I just if you want to get caught up, you go right on ahead and listen to the first three sessions. So we're in session four tonight, and we will open up with a, with a brief word of prayer, and then we will journey forth. God, thank you for your text, and we pray that we are challenged and encouraged, and I just pray that you would speak uh, through your word tonight, and that you would use uh, Professor D and me tonight as 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 uh, keep us faithful, Lord. We just pray all this in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right, so Ephesians four, and we've got one to six. We've got this uh, big chunk starting off here, and I'll I'll just go ahead and read. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was... Oh, that's verse 6. Okay. So, Professor D, what big chunk to unpack there. How do the how do the attitudes in verses two and three illustrate verse one? So verse one talks about living a life manner, walk in the manner worthy of your calling, and then in verses two and three he talks about elements of that, what your life would look like. How, how does that illustrate? Well, humility, gentleness, patience, and love are characteristics that Jesus exemplified as a man. These are the characteristics that define Jesus. Uh, these are the characteristics that he highlighted on the in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, if, if we like, if we are to be like the one who called us, mm. these characteristics, these attitudes, they need to be present in how we, we, we live. Um, the way we live needs to match the value God has given us by virtue of the calling that he's made to us in salvation. And, and that's what it means to be worthy of the calling. And as we've learned so far in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2, mm-hmm. that... This calling, of you're living out God's predestined choice yeah. of you. Yes. So now this is this is a high calling. Yes. So this is this is God putting you and just choosing you and yeah. predestining you. So now you're on God's team. Now right. this is how you are to wear the uniform. Right. So worthy of this calling, and none of us on our own are worthy. But no. th- that's not the point he's making here. No. He's now now live it. Yeah. And so wow, that's. These are good verses to keep I mean, in he mind. He had no reason to to save us, but upon saving us, he gives us a, a purpose for it. Right. He's brought you onto his team. Now, yeah. here's, here's ways you can now wear the uniform. Exactly. Represent him. All right. So, we continue. Paul lists a bunch of one things here. When I, when I read the text, I emphasized the one each time. You know, one faith, one hope. Okay. So... Next question here, Professor D. What is the purpose of all these one items he lists in verses 4 to 6? There's a lot of them. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and simply put, it, it, it comes down to, it boils down to unity. It, it's what he's been building up to up to this point. Uh, it, it's a coming together under God. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I like that, the, the one hope that we have. I mean, there's there's plenty of Christians who, who are disagreeing on many different things. Yeah. There's a lot of denominations out there. There's a lot of different churches that believe different things. And certainly the tribalism of, 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 of the year 2020 mm-hmm. and the quarantine and, and COVID, it just revealed all the ways that we, in which we disagree with each other. Yeah. But we have this in common. Yeah. These one things, all these one things are what unites us, like you said. Right. It's what we have in common. Yeah. And so we land the plane there. And we focus more about what unites us. And, and there's plenty of things here. Can, can you think of some of these that might actually be quite divisive? Like maybe the one one baptism, maybe one baptism would probably be one that we would be arguing. What as far as even the divisiveness would be the methodology mm. or what specific type of of baptism it is, but it's it's not even really that. It's not a hill to die on kind of thing. We 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 do believe in the one baptism. I believe this is referring to the baptism of the spirit, mind you. But you know, you know. That's about it. Other people will focus on the water baptisms, whether it's sprinkled or submersion, um, you know. Right. And, but, but I like what you said there, Mick, because it's about unity. Yeah. These are the things that unify us. Yeah. And so the Jesus that I claim is the, is the Jesus that anyone else can claim. There's, yeah. the, there's not like there's two lords out there. Right. There's two crosses or two sacrifices nope. or two different standards. No, there's one. There's one. And that one standard... I mean, that was the illustration of the book of Galatians, yeah. is that you're saved by grace, so that's the one standard, so yeah. don't be adding anything of the flesh now. And so here it is. Anything else would be a different gospel, right? Correct. All right, so that that that, that covers that really well. I appreciate your, your focus on unity there, Mick. So what, therefore, is the type of community that Paul was describing in these opening verses? The uh, God wants a unified body of believers where where He's over the whole church, and, and when I say church, I mean church with a capital C, and we act mm-hmm. as His hands, His feet, or whatever He wants us to be, and that that brings glory to Him. Mm. And again, this all ties even to the earlier chapters. Everything we all come under one God, Jesus is our head, to bring glory to Him. Right, and as it appears here, the Father is now even over that. Right. So it's the submission even in the, in, the, in the Godhead there. Yeah. All right, well, that's what a great opening six verses here. This is live a life worthy of this calling. Yeah. The manner in which you live is important. Yeah. It's not just, okay, I'm, a, I'm on God's team. No, how, how you live this life matters, and, yes. and, and God expects you to live faithfully. And we live as fellow Christians in this very divided world, with unity. Yes. Unity of the things that are most important. So we continue now to verses 7 to 10. And it starts with this. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And then Paul writes in parentheses here. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended to the lower regions, that is the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So, does verse 7 speak of unity or differences? What's going on in verse 7? I think we, we have to look at that very important word that starts the section off, which is but. So that means there's a shifting going on here. 
You know, we, we you know we got to pay attention to these connecting words and and what their significance are. So there's a but. So starting off verse seven, there there's that shift there. And up till now, Paul has been writing on believers coming together under God as one. Now, now what he's emphasizing though is the uniqueness, the differences among believers. Mm. And in this discussion of unity, though, I think it makes perfect sense though. Why? Because by definition, what is unity if it's not the coming together of diverses or distincts? as a unified, mm. as a unity, as one. We, we, I think more often than not, when the Bible mentions the word one, it's actually meaning making more of a reference to unity. So it makes perfect sense that, that those that are to come together as one are not the same in every regard. The great example of a unity is, is none other than God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we, we hold to the fact that they are different. They're not exactly the same. Yet, we believe that each person, to be different, that, that they come together so perfectly. That This is the way that God works. That, that This is why we have in Deuteronomy 6.5 in the Shema, where God is saying, I, you know, the Lord, you know, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And he, you know, very well, we know that he, he is mm -hmm. one, and yet he is more than one. And, and so he's the ultimate example of what it means to come together as one. So he quotes a psalm here? Is it Psalm 68? Yes. How, how does that, what, what point was he making here? All right, well, here's the thing with Psalm 68. Psalm 68 is what, what I'm going to call a triumphant psalm. I think they, they call it another thing, but I'm going to call it a, a triumphant psalm. It's a, it's a triumphal entrance of a conquering king. And the idea is that as, as a conquering king, well, you know, whoever's, the, <laughs> it kind of reminds me a little bit of history of the world where it's, it's good to be the king. <laughs> but the idea is that as the conquering king, he gets to divide the spoils however he pleases. Mm. I mean, he is the conqueror. He is the king. He gets to do what he wants. And in the same way, God chooses, God, Jesus, also choose how to give out those gifts. So these sound like his captives are kind of a heavenly, kind of maybe demonic, like the same thing he was trying to proclaim last, mm. in last week's chapter to proclaim this grace, the, the riches of his grace, even to the heavenly, mm -hmm. the, the powers and dominions. Here he has, he's, he's leading a host of captives. Yeah. And wow. So it's, and now giving gifts. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so what, what, if I understand correctly, Mick, it sounds like it started with unity. And now in this unity, there is diversity. Yes, there is diversity. And so now that diversity is he's giving these diverse gifts. Yes. To his church. Yeah. And so we would expect then to keep going along that that train yeah and and so paul then was using psalm 68 if i understand your point correctly now it's like this is now rooted in this idea in the old testament even so yeah. this is just coming into fulfillment yeah. in christ something that they understood something they knew and so he talks about ascending and descending i realize in our english bible this is in a parentheses and yes. so paul is just giving an explanation yeah but what in the world's going on to, with ascending and descending yeah. what's this all about i know paul's kind of funny that way but you know what if you if, with paul if you work to follow him you can actually follow him but it does take some work and we're not alone in that peter peter the apostle himself is in our club when it comes to this but the ascension imagery is, is that jesus has has come out victoriously after having come down, descending, to come and win his victory. The passage says that he freed captives. And, and I believe that the captives is everybody who is dead in their sins. Because mm. we were captives. We were dead in our sins and we were also captives. And that he gives us the gifts as he sees fit. So they would be in terms of, he started off 
God the Son started off in heaven, mm -hmm. as it were, yeah. descended as in the Word became flesh. Yeah. Think of it, he came down the hill to take, take over the, the lower regions, as, as Paul uses the word, the mm -hmm. terminology. You know, he's like, I already rule up here. I'm going to come down and rule over here. And then he ascended again. And then he goes back up, yeah. Right. So there are some people that, that want to describe this as he descended into hell. And I know that's something that is more in the, the Peter epistles. Yeah. But it's like, no, no, this is the earth here. And yeah. so it's, it's ascended down here. And I, I love how you said that because that really explained it so well, Professor D, that he came to preach to those and to, to deliver those yeah. who were indeed dead, yeah. but in an Ephesians 2 dead, dead exactly. in their sins. And again, we got to keep it in the context. Right. Now, I, I, I'll even go on a limb here. Let's suppose that it is more a lower regions dead. You know, because I have... I, if we're going to be doing justice, we have to at least consider it. Even if it were kind of a, is it a First Peter three fifteen three nineteen? I think it is, where he talks about that. If it is something like that, it doesn't seem to go very contrary. Because again, even in, in chapter 1 and in chapter 6, he's going to talk about the rulers and principalities and all that jazz. Right. So, he's, so even that, I could see it being that. But I don't think it's that in light of, like you said, in light of Ephesians 2. I think, and the fact that he's giving gifts to these captives, it makes me think that it's more along the lines of the Ephesians too. I don't see him giving gifts to the to the lower nether beings, you know, as it were. <laughs> right. So I, I really do think it's the lower parts of it's it's the earth itself. And I, it, yeah, I mean that's pretty much about it, you know. I mean, here's the other thing too. He talks about being higher than the heavens in one part, and the thing is like. The idea is that heaven is already the highest. And the idea that if you're higher than heaven is that you're that much more important. It's kind of like a, an emphasis thing. And right. I think as far as the earth, lower, lowest part of earth or lower earth is just more the emphasis. Right. And, and the, the Greek has this idea of the, the earth yeah. or possibly the lowest parts of the earth. Yeah. But still the earth. Yeah, exactly. And so it's not like the underworld right. or he's descended. It's not Hades things. realm. Yeah. So the others are like, he descended to hell. Well... You're not going to get that from this. I mean, verse. you know, it's fun if you're doing, you know, fiction and stuff. I mean, it's fun to play around with stuff like that. You know, some of the the ancient <laughs> creeds kind of played with that, but yeah. yeah but so, yeah. okay, so he, that's ascending and descending. That was a really good explanation. Thank you for that, because there's some people who might look at that and go, "Whoa, that's a lot of, that's a lot of, of ascending and descending there." <laughs> so that was seven to ten. So we've got this idea that that we're supposed to live a certain way. We're supposed to be unified, and. And that, there's diversity. And there's diversity in the gifts. So we're, so we're, we're not going to be surprised when he's going to speak more of that here in, in just a second. But then he pauses there and does like this rabbinical sermon on applying an Old Testament text to mm -hmm. Jesus and then explaining it for us. And so now we continue in 11 to 16. All right. And he gave. Okay, so now he's going to give gifts. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, you could even possibly translate shepherd teachers if you want there, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every... By every Wind. Wind of doctrine. I was just double checking where I was reading to. Wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, 
joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Mm-hmm. Now, Paul, that's probably one big sentence there. Yeah. Okay, that's the way Paul, that's the way he does. That's how he rolls. But, uh, but, but that's a lot to take in there. So we will take this uh, at, at a slower pace here to kind of understand what's going on. We'll start in verse, um, you know, starting in like around verse 11. So who did Paul give to the church? All right, so the, the, the things that he gives to the church is the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors. I'm going to translate shepherds into pastors because that's the way sure. we understand it today. And teachers. Their specific mission is to help develop the other disciples. Mm. That, that's what it comes down to. That's what their specific mission is. It is to develop other Christians because all Christians have to be disciples. I don't mm. believe in this distinction that some people say, you can be saved but not be a disciple. No, you're saved to be a disciple. That you're not. That you're actually living it out. We got some work on there. But mm. every Christian is called to be a disciple. That's that was Jesus's commission. And, and Paul is definitely speaking in terms of his generation, mm-hmm. the yeah. first century yep. world, where apostles, and some, some of those apostles were still alive. Yeah, and him being one of them. Yeah, and prophets. You know, because and, and prophets in terms of uh, the the foretelling aspect of prophets. I know a lot of times, and I've heard this in a lot of Christian circles, that that the the modern day equivalent of a prophet would be the, the preacher, you know, the fourth teller. I mean, that's fine and dandy, but I, I mean, is that really what it's saying here? I'm not so sure. But what I do know is that we don't need prophets anymore because the Bible is a completed work. Right. Obviously, in the time that that Ephesians was written, like many of the other books, that whenever we talk about it, we always we always stress that because. I think there's a confusion about some of these things, mm-hmm. either offices or or gifts, still being around today, in that capacity. And and I and I just really don't think that they are. It's not to say that there there can never be a healing. It's not right. to say that there can't be. I'm not even sure. That not really a prophecy in terms of anything new, you know. But you know, mm-hmm. there are things that that will. I can still see something like a tongue still happening, but I see it more as an isolated incident. But, and not as a, as a gifting per se. Right. And and as this, these aren't just gifts he's giving, he's actually giving officers to the church. Yes. And as the basic, you know, this is masterclass theology, so we dip into theology every yes. now and then. So the theological position that I hold to is cessationism. Yes. And what cessationism essentially says is it's not limiting God, but it's saying that the these offices and these workings that had the way it worked out in the first century while the Bible was still being composed mm-hmm. by the Holy Spirit. Yeah using various individuals the way he did, that that has ceased. Yeah. And that there are no longer any more apostles. Correct. And because there are no longer any more apostles, it opens up the table so there's no longer any more prophets the way there was in the first century. Right. Or certain and so other other of these offices continue. Yeah, like the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, they definitely continue. Because they're not revelatory no. in a way because at this time in, in, in scriptural history or salvation history there was still open revelation. Right, right. The Holy Spirit was still inspiring and, and, and people. And we classically call it the the apostolic age for the same reason, yeah. you know, because there's still this happening. So I like how you said their mission in verse 12, they're equipping. So it is, they are equipping the saints. So for any of you, I realize I say this as a pastor, so you may think this is jaded, but if for any of you listening to this that want to think that your pastor is supposed to do everything, if anything, your pastor is like the armorer. Mm-hmm. equipping you for battle. Yeah. And because and that's going to come in the next couple chapters because he's equipping the saints yeah. for the work of the ministry. It's not that the pastor is supposed to do all the ministry. No. Now he's a saint as well. Yeah. But 
the, the, the leaders of the church are equipping now the saints to do the work. Yeah. And so a good pastor equips the flock. Yeah. And that's great. And, you know, we're going to see this in Timothy and Titus later that, you know, in terms of pastors, overseers, or bishops, you know, they, they are able to teach, but they're, they're still different than, per se, people who in the church, within the church, that devote themselves only to teaching. Mm. A pastor has a bigger function in the sense that he, he's also serving as an overseer to the doctrine being correct and, and, and has much more to do than that. Because I, I remember, you know, growing up, like you said, everybody expected my small church pastor to do everything. And, and that's just not what God, God intended at all. I mean, it's fine to think that way. It's just not biblical. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, and it's not biblical. In my mind, it's not fine. <laughs> well, there you go. Amen. All right. So in verse 13, I'll just kind of, I know we read a big chunk there, so I'll just read it again. Until we get all attained to, to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, Professor D, what is the unity? What is the unity in sight in verse 13? What, what, how yeah. are we unified? If, if we are to grow into a unity, a unity, it stands to reason that we, we ought to know who we are growing under, and that's Jesus. Unity of faith and, and knowledge of the Son of God which, as I've shared in the past, is intimate and relational knowledge, not, not trivial pursuit knowledge. Mm. It's not just knowing about, it's knowing the person. Mm. is all for the purpose of making us to be like Jesus. If we're going to be part of Jesus' body, then we should be like Jesus. And, and you, know, you know, as far as who is the standard of, of our maturity, well, that's Jesus. Jesus is the standard bearer. And fullness, yeah. yeah. There's there's uh, there's unity, maturity, and stature and fullness. It's yeah. all centered in Christ. Yeah, that's the standard. It looks like our, the standard of our maturity is yeah Jesus. The standard that Christ set. Yeah. And so the pastor and the leaders of the church are now they're the ones guiding the flock, mm-hmm. and they're towards maturity. The the, yeah. whole, the goal of the church is that we may be. This is kind of like a philosophy of ministry. Why does the church exist? Yeah. Well, to, to equip the saints yeah. for, for ministry, for disciples, and to grow and to mature. And that's what a church ought to be doing. So what picture does verse 14 paint? So it says, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro. Yeah, so what's and craftiness and deceitful skin? What's going on there? What picture is it painted? Well, he, he wants he wants them to grow and to be mature. You know, So he makes a contrast between children and, and being mature. You know, an adult. The idea is that a, a fully grown adult is not easily deceived as an immature child. That that's what he's he's going with here. So the idea is that that we're we're, we're going to grow in Christ, and in growing in Christ, we we become careful about the teachings out there. You know, for instance, even within the first century, where, where people were saying Jesus was not fully flesh, or or he wasn't, uh, or he wasn't, or he was he was only spirit. You know, the pre Gnostics that started coming out. Within the first century, or or the or the opposite extreme, where, where he, yeah, Jesus was only a human, but but he was you know taken over by his, by the God Spirit. And it's like, where, where are you guys coming up with this stuff? Mm. You know, so yeah, you know, this way they guarded against these kind of nonsensical teachings that they were prevalent then; they're prevalent today. Yeah, and I, and I like I like that it pictures us when we're coming to the faith as children. Mm-hmm. And and children in need of maturity, and then and children who follow you know this or that, and yeah. we're tossed by every wind that casts our sail, and just kind of we're going this way this week and this way that week, 
and deceitful schemes. There's always people out there. Yeah. Well, it was in Galatians. Yes. They're trying to deceive them by yeah. saying they needed to add Moses to Jesus. And so now hold on now. The church now exists to, it's really what Paul was encouraging yeah. the Galatian church to do. It's like, hey, yeah. you guys exist now to, to be built up, yeah. not to be dragged aside. And so here it is. You may no longer be children. So if you are in a church and you're growing in a church, then you should be maturing. Yeah. You, you, if you're staying the same, if you're the same place you are now that you were 10 years ago, then that's not right. No. You need to be maturing and you need to be uh, you need to be growing. Otherwise, you're going to be tossed to and fro, especially in this world we live it's in. It's kind, of, kind of like when you go take your kid to the pediatrician. They got certain metrics. Mm. Your kid should be saying this many words by this age. Your kid should be about this weight. Your kid should be about this height. Because, of one, again, that is a sign of life and growth and maturity and it's the same for for believers there needs to be that going on otherwise you have to question is the person truly a believer because a believer's life has got to ma right. manifest somehow so then how, how does this happen what key thing is needed in verse 15 to describe to, to for the child to grow into an adult what does he say here well I, I think the key thing that he says here is that you know the key thing is truth which, which sets us free, but it needs to be done in love, which is truth directed at building up people, not putting them down. You know, a lot of times mm -hmm. people say, "Hey, I'm going to give you truth, but you know, it's going to, you know," and they use it as a as a tool to cut, you know, knock people down. And that's not what it's for. Mm -hmm. Truth and and love are not incompatible, as some would make it out to be. Would you see healthy, appropriate confrontation in verse 15? Yeah, speaking the truth in love. Yeah, I I believe there has to be. And there will be. Like you'll you'll never mature from a child to an adult in a spiritual sense if you're not having appropriate co confrontation in your life. Yeah, and I think the key word is there: appropriate. You know, it's mm -hmm. done with love. Again, because you can see when a person's trying to put you down and when when a person's really trying to help you up. Uh, the gospel itself is a great example of that where be, before it, it, it can get to telling us what what salvation and hope in Jesus, it needs to, to help us understand that we are sinners. I mean, mm -hmm. who wants to hear that you're a sinner? I mean. There's right. a lot of people that's like, I'm not bad. I'm not like, like, I'm not stealing. I'm not, you know, doing this or that. There's a lot of people who are like that. And it's sad because hell is going to be filled with good people, as, right. as, as, as humanity likes to call good. You know, you know, we need to hear the lesson that, yeah, we're sinners and we're worse than we really think we are. Because if you don't feel that you're sick or you don't think you're sick, you're never going to seek a solution to that problem. And, and that, that, so we need to understand that we're sinners, you know. So that in need of hope and salvation. Right. And, and this is all with the intent of us growing to be like Jesus. That's everything. Because yeah. if, if you're someone and you say, well, I'm a good confronter. I can confront anybody yeah. on anything. And there's others who say, I'm terrified of confronting. Well, the goal here of any confrontation is to get from being a child to being an adult. Yeah. The, to grow and to mature. Yeah. And so these confrontations or like a, like a typical con confrontation that I receive on a regular basis is Joel... Are you living Ephesians 5.25? Mm. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. For, are you giving yourself up for your wife? Yeah. Are you loving that way? Now, that was a confrontation. Oh, that, 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 that feels yeah. awkward. At some point, that's awkward. The person asking me that, we've got a relationship where we yeah. can ask each other those kind of questions. But still, anybody could technically ask me that question because that grows me as a man, as yeah. a husband. If I have to face Ephesians 5.25 every single day, then that was a good question to ask me in love yeah. with the goal to grow me as a husband yeah. and to grow me into what Christ expects of me and to be more like Jesus. And so that would just be in my life yeah. a confronting question in love, yeah. in truth, 
that is designed to grow, you know, even me. And so, and I, I need that. And so I need that challenge. And the challenge doesn't come from my friend. It comes from scripture. Right. And, but just pointing people, the best way to confront people is just with scripture. Yeah. Are you living this? Yeah. You know, look at the fruits of the spirit. Is there a fruit that's on your tree that shouldn't be there? Yeah. Is there a fruit that should be there that's not there? Right. I mean, that's just a simple question. You can do the fruit list yourself and look at that and go, well, yeah, there it is. And that's just a great way to confront and to see change and to see how you can change. Oh, my goodness. So we have here just a closing question from this section. How does the body of Christ properly function? Just taking these, these six verses of 11 to 16, how does the body of Christ properly function? I think as we get closer to Jesus, we become more like him. Hmm. And we live in a way that characterizes the love of Jesus towards everyone. Because again, the idea is not to say, you know, love, love, love. The idea is to to show love, to, to you know, and it's a growth process for everyone, you know, because we all struggle with, with, with selfish impulses, you know, and that's something that we, we need to grow to be like Jesus, the example of what it means to be selfless. Well, and that's exactly right. We appreciate that challenge. Now, so for Paul to, to, to remind us that we need to confront each other in love he then gives us standards. Mm-hmm. So we, he's going to give us yeah. ideas of the old self and ideas of the new self. He's going to tell us about that. So we're going to start with 17 to 22, and these are going to be darker. These are going to be your former yeah. way of life. But 17 to 22, here we go next. Now I now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to, a, to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth, as the truth is in Jesus. Here it is. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt, through deceitful desires. Mm-hmm. Wow. This almost sounds like you know, Ephesians chapter 2, talking about dead in your sin and, yep. and, 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 and to the ways of this world in which you used to live. Here it is. The old self-diagnosis. So we're going to kind of walk through these. So we start with futility. Make what do you have to say? And so this is verse, uh, verse 17. Yeah. What's the futility of their minds? All right. The futility is this means that, that which, which is use, useless, that, that doesn't yield anything, let alone anything worthwhile. This is like, very unproductive thinking. That's what futility of the mind is, is, is going at. Unproductive thinking. Darkened in their understanding. Darkened, uh, dark being the absence of light. In other words, God is not in the picture. Again, this, the, like, like futility of the mind, this is, this is a hopeless state to be in. It's like if you go into a room that you're not familiar with mm-hmm. and it's dark, yeah. you're going to be stubbing your toe on things. Yeah, and you're, right. you're not going to know where to go and what's, what's behind every corner. Yeah. You turn on the light switch, it's a different issue. Right. But that's the issue. They're just darkened. They're, they're, yeah. they're, they're, their thoughts are futile. They're darkened. They're alienated from the life of God to be, yeah. because of the ignorance that is in them. So, yeah. so to be alienated is to be untethered from God. Mm. And, and that means if you're untethered from God, ultimately you're untethered from hope. You're untethered from salvation. Again, he's painting a picture of hopelessness here. Mm. The hardness of heart. What's hardness of heart? Oh, hardness of heart. This means that a person is is completely unreceptive to God. This is a, a, a this is a again this is continuing this hopeless condition to, um, that that he's been developing here. Mm. 
All right. I mean, it's like a willful resistance of God. Given over to every impurity. You probably don't have to say much here. But yeah, but yeah that, that means that we are hopelessly at the mercy of our destructive appetites and impulses. You know, impurity generally tends to refer more so to, to sexual things in nature. And, and, and I mean, again, the key, the key word I keep using here is it, it, this is a very hopeless situation. This is the dead in our sin of Ephesians 2.1. Right. So, just, so, so, listener, listen, listen to this verse real quick, and just and look at your life. They have become callous, have given themselves up. This is verse nineteen. Have given themselves up to sensuality, mm-hmm. greedy to practice every kind of purity. So, think about that. You're greedy to mm-hmm. practice every kind of impurity. You go out of your way greedy. to produce. Like, I can't wait to get more impurity in my life. That's what Selfish. greediness is. Selfish. Totally. So it's it's that that's a very very convicting verse. And finally, here in this section, corrupt through deceitful desires. Yeah, uh, we're, we're damaged because of our lust. You know, lust being is another word. Desire and lust are interchangeable words. This was all part of our past tenses. And, and going back to the start of this chapter, these can no longer be a part of our living now, now that we've been called. So we can't be this anymore. Mm. Well, that's the old self. And we're, we're told in this opening section to put off the old self. Yeah. And that is, if you want to think about it like an item of clothing, you, you get you get to the end of your night, you take off the shirt you wore all day, yeah. and maybe you put on a, a pajamas or whatever, you do, don't wear a shirt to bed, whatever, but you take off that old shirt, and then the next day you're going to put something else on. Mm-hmm. And so you're taking off this old self. The, yeah. the, in the Galatians 2.20, it's been crucified with Christ. Yeah. It's done. It shouldn't be you anymore. Right. You're taking off all that Mick just described really, really masterfully in terms of this old self in these, in these five verses. That is no longer to be you. We're taking that off. And so now we come to verses 23 to 29, the new self. So now it starts with, in verse 23, so we'll all start in verse 22 again. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And then part of that renewal means you're going to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Well, how about that? The new self. So, We'll kind of walk through this now. So, Mick, created for a specific outcome. Yeah, it's it's worth noting here, the previous things of the old self, the imagery that Paul uses of the old clothes that has to be taken off, but lest we be naked, we need to put on something new, as you also pointed out. You know, we got to put on some new clothes now because we don't want to be naked either. So we take off the old, we put on new. And also, if you take a closer look at the terms that he used in the previous list, futility of the mind, darkened understanding, ignorance, these are the primary battlefield is the mind. Mm. That's why this section starts off by saying that our minds need to be renewed. This new section here, yes, um, because of that. And we're, we're to put on this new self. We're created 
after the likeness of God, there's a goal there. Yeah. You're to be like God. Yeah. You're in, and, and God is righteous and holy. Yes. So this new you in Christ isn't to be like the old you that died. No, no. I mean, you, you pictured it in your baptism. It's under the water, yeah. dead, buried. It was crucified with Christ on the cross. Metaphorically, Galatians 2.20. Now, it can't be, if it's crucified, that's a finality. Yeah, you can't thing, bring it back. As Christians, when we come back to life, the idea is not to come back to life as zombies. <laughs> looking, looking like a walking dead. The old you, that's right. Yeah. All so. right, that, that that is great. So that that's a great opening part there. And he continues with uh, speaking truth. So the, uh, verse 25, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Yeah. So what what is it about speaking so, truth? So we, we speak truth because God is truth. God identifies himself as truth. That's what Jesus said himself. Truth is truth. Is personal. I'll let somebody put it that way. Truth is a person, and it's Jesus, and it's God. Mm. And Satan, on the other hand, is described as what? He is the father of lies. So obviously, if we're going to be like Jesus, who identifies himself as the truth incarnate, then we need to speak truth. That's a good point. Yeah. Because lies are the opposite of truth. Yeah. And, and, and again, the father of that, we already know that to be the Satan. Handing, handling anger appropriately. Ooh, this is a sticky one. Oh my God, you're talking about my 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 usual tripping up area here. Uh, anger is is inevitable, but but our attitudes and our responses don't have to be. You know, um, uh, the way James one twenty says, our anger never produces. You know, in other words, it doesn't advance the righteousness of God. So you know, we can get angry, but we, we have to get out of there fast. Yeah, I mean, this this verse, verse 26, does give us the possibility of having anger that does not sin. Yeah. But I don't know about you, but, uh, but for me, <laughs> most of the times I, I get angry, I'm asking for forgiveness. I, I believe it primarily because Scripture says... <laughs> I mean, that that's about as much like Christ as you can possibly be, because every time I'm angry, I think, and I've, I, I usually sin... And I'm asking forgiveness of my wife. I think right there, you're right there. I usually sin. That means that there's a moment that you yeah. don't always sin. I guess I think there there are those moments where where we wrestle with that. And I think the big challenge is don't let it come out of your mouth, right? And don't let it come out in your behavior. And don't let it like nurture into a bitter and, spirit, and right? And there, there you go. And I think that that's just it, you which know? is like anger in the crock pot of your soul for right. like a decade or something. Yeah, don't bottle it either. You know, right. it's not worth keeping. Don't put preservatives on it. And the sun going down in your anger. What's he saying there? It, we're, we're, that's that's a nice poetic way of saying is resolve it fast. Get don't let it linger. Stay current. Stay current. Don't yeah. be digging up the past yeah. just to, just to score points. Yeah, yeah, and and deal with things. And wow, that's and I know there's people who are listening. Like, well, I, I'm the kind of person that. I can't go to bed if, we're, if if I'm fighting with my spouse and we've had an argument and I, if it's not resolved, I can't sleep. And and usually that that person is married to the person who's like, I can go to sleep just fine. We can deal with it in the morning. Well, then deal with it in the morning. Right. I, I, that's, <laughs> that's what I was going to say because there's a lot of times where I use myself as an example. So I have gone gotten into late arguments with my wife. I have to wake up early the next morning. I need time to kind of let it settle, simmer down and settle right. down. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And don't take it, it to mean it, that in the most literal. But the, the real sense of it is don't let it last long. By the morning, I've had time to reflect on it. You know, the cranking it. Because that's another thing, too. Part of the reason you, that you're in that crank mode is because you're, you need to sleep. Yeah, I've heard it put otherwise. And don't, don't give a foothold for the devil. It's like the picture is the devil yeah. trying, to, trying to scale the rock face of your heart. Yeah. The, the more you're, 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 you're 
you're not dealing with your anger appropriately. Yeah. You're carving out footholds from the yeah, client. You're opening the door for him to stick yeah. his foot there. You know, I mean, seriously. I mean, deal with it. The more you put off, you know, dealing with your anger issues and dealing with the fights that you have and the arguments you have, just the more opportunity you're granting yeah. this bitter root to grow. Yeah. Amen. Okay, so. Handling anger appropriately. How about handling work and possessions appropriately? What's he say about work first? Okay, well, let's go with this. The idea is that we are no longer selfish takers, mm. thieves like Satan. That's what selfish taker is. Ultimately, it's a thief. But we are instead generous givers like, like Jesus, like God, who, as, as we have seen throughout this letter, gives us grace mm. you know, and undeserved something. Yes. So, I mean, how much more generous can, can you get? I mean... Don't be the selfish taker. That's that's basically what it, what a thief is. You know, that gives that gives hope. The villain yeah. doesn't have to be stay the villain. No. Hey, you were the villain, so stop yeah. being the villain. Right. It's like you're now you now belong to Christ. Yeah. He gives you the power to, to obey Him. Now obey Him. Yeah, and that's again this whole <laughs> chapter he's talking about. That's what you used to be. Right. You know, don't continue in that. This is a matter. This is part of living out the life worthy of your calling. Yeah. Now. Part of it is taking off that old self, now yeah. putting on the new. Yeah, before we were completely unable, thanks to God, we have been enabled. Yeah, Ephesians 2, works prepared in advance for us to do. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what does he say here about now, now the purpose of your work is providing, and now maybe, was it generosity? Yeah, yeah. What's generosity. What's going on here? Uh, 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 again, like I always... Possessions. I look at it as, as being either selfish or selfless. And Paul's always making these kind of great contrasts. Mm. So instead of being this selfish person who's constantly, you know, taking, 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 and even taking inappropriately, how about you give, 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 and mm. give undeservedly? Wow. That's what grace is. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Well, handling anger appropriately, handling work and possessions appropriately, and finally here in this section... Handling our speech or using speech appropriately. Yeah. What's going on here? So along with speaking the truth in love, what I what I say needs, what it says, it needs to to build up others toward, towards uh, unity and not be dis divisive and not bringing others down. You know, if someone needs encouragement, I need to be ready and willing to give it, mm. and, and 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 to give it in, in the appropriate measure. You know, imagine. You're in you're in a, in a funeral setting. Sometimes the the best thing you can do is just be there and not say anything. You you know, Job's friends did that for seven days and they opened their mouth. That that was the problem. That's when the problems <laughs> began, wasn't it? Yeah. So the idea is, you know, we 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 have to be, you know, when we we say things. The idea is, and again, we don't we don't affirm things that are wrong in people's lives either, because right. that's not that's that's not speech that is appropriate either. We don't affirm for the sake. For the sake of uh, a lack of confrontation or conflict, you know, it's just that we don't, we we wrestle with the tension that we do not want conflict, but we are ready for it whenever it needs to be had, whenever it needs to take place. We, we go into it in a defensive posture, which I think is more often the biblical position than, than being offensive. Mm. I think God's biggest game, more often than not, from what I've seen in scripture, is a defensive posture. God, Jesus is going to take care of the offense. Jesus has taken care of the offense. Right. And then we just have to maintain, we need to hold what, what he's asked us to do. And it's generally a defensive posture. And we're going to see more of that when we get to Ephesians chapter 6. The armor of God. Yeah. I, I really think your 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 connection to, to James chapter 1 is really good here. Because 
that was uh, brothers be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow, mm, yes, slow to become yes. angry. Here it is. It's like I know ninety nine percent of the time when I'm sinning, yeah, I, it's because of my speech. Yeah, I'm saying something. I've got an attitude that comes out verbally. I know when my kids do a lot of their sinning, they're always saying things they shouldn't say mm-hmm. or they're having to correct it. They're cutting each other down. Here it is. No corrupting talk coming out of your mouth. Only what's good for building up. Because, again, mm-hmm. we're building up. We're yeah. grow- We're supposed to be growing here from yeah. children to adults here. And the, the whole point of the church is that the, 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 the leaders would equip the saints now for their right. growing. And so and for the ministry. So now so your speech needs to be a part of that. It's not something just for corruption. It's, but it may be grace. Yeah. I mean, that your speech would be a gift to other people. Yeah. That is mind blowing. As opposed to, I exist to speak to, to make points. Yeah. I exist to, I look smart or I score a point mm-hmm. or I win an argument or I tear someone down and build myself up. No. There's, a, there's an element of ministry to our very speech yeah. and a perspective. That's just mind blowing. Yeah. I can't only imagine that this is, the boundaries it puts upon the tongue is is so huge here. And how we speak and, and what comes out of us. And well, we got to land the plane here. So let's we'll, we'll close uh, with 30 to 32. Scroll down here. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Mm. Wow. Amen. So three last questions here. What do we learn regarding the Holy Spirit here? So it'd be verse 30. Yeah. So the big thing, obviously, and I want everybody to take this away, is that the Holy Spirit is a person who can be grieved. But again, the Holy Spirit is a person. I think we've mentioned this before, but I think it's worth mentioning again. Never, because the Bible doesn't, whenever the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, the Bible talks about him in a masculine gender, okay? God, for reasons of his own, chose the masculine to, to, define, to, to describe himself, and obviously Jesus came as a man. The, the point being is that the Holy Spirit is a person. Never refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. Oh, but I don't mean that he's not a person. I mean just genderless. No, he... He, Jesus identifies him as a he. We need to identify him as a he. It's not some nebulous force no, from no. Star Wars. Or exactly. Something. You know, he is a person. He can be grieved. Ah, and, yes. Okay? And he does not like it when we sin. Think about this. The Holy Spirit is God living within us. The Holy Spirit is, 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 is representing Jesus in us. Okay? So, and He's we crying decide, out, Abba, Father. Exactly. Reminding us we're his. Exactly. And we decide to, to cheat on our spouse, okay? Mm. Maybe we won't go as far as cheating on our spouse, but we decide to, to watch pornography. Or maybe, maybe we won't even do that, but we start fudging numbers at work, mm. okay? The Holy Spirit is right there with us. You're taking him along for this ride. How do you think that makes God feel living inside of us? Sad but true, too often we forget that God, the God who sealed us, who, who assures us of us our salvation is also right there, not beside us, but inside us as we do these things hey, or don't do these things. He's he's something. not just standing outside of us no. and just observing it like like uh, like the, that old Bette Midler song. God just watching us from a distance. Yeah. No, he's he's Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, he's right there in the center. I mean, 
it's like the Holy Spirit can be grieved. That tells you all you need to know. Yeah, I mean, you know, think about that. Do you really want to grieve the Holy Spirit? And he sealed you. I mean, this mm-hmm. is, he has put that deposit, that guarantee you are, that you are his. And, and now you're, you're going to play fast and loose with that? I mean, Paul reminds us, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Yeah. He sealed you. Yeah. I mean, my for the day of redemption, you've been redeemed, and you there's a guarantee. And my goodness, and and I mean, think of it. It's kind of you know, kind of like that fussy child that you're trying to strap on the seatbelt. You know, you're trying to secure the kid for his own safety. Mm. You know, and 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 he's agitating you as you're doing it because you know he's doing everything he should and then making it much more difficult. That's what we do to the Holy Spirit. So we're not surprised in the final two verses. That the same Paul who talked about putting off and putting on mm-hmm. is going to give us a summary of how we are not to be and then a summary of how we are to be. Yeah. So let's start with verse 31. How does that summarize how we are not to be? Well, that, that's a list of very divisive and disruptive sins. And, there, and if you notice, those are all also, let me re, re-look at it just to make sure. They are, they're, they're, they're things that affect relationships. Bitterness and wrath and anger. Those are relational sins. Slanders, mm-hmm. you have, you know, verbal stuff going mm-hmm. on there. Yeah, they're, they're disruptive, they're divisive, they're relational. And I mean, in the sense of working against relational sins. Malice. So again, we are to work towards unity, not division. And building up. Building up, yeah. Not destroying. Exactly. All right, so that, that's great. Well, verse 32, how does verse 32 summarize how we are instead to be? Yeah, and I, I think that, that that that's a cool thing that Paul doesn't focus so much on what on on a what to do list, as it, as if the emphasis were merely the outward behavior, as if that was the key. But instead, he focuses on how our how we are to be, mm. who we are to be, be kind, depending on the translation you're using. I mean, different than than acting just kind, because a lot of people act kind, but they're not kind. They're be tender-hearted. That's different than the opposite of being a, of a hardened heart that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, of the unsaved. You know, and also not faking it. You know, be tender-hearted. Then and only then will we be able to forgive others as God has forgiven us. That I mean, word, this is this is great stuff. That word forgiving is an ing word that's yeah. always going, isn't yeah. it? We yeah. need to be forgivers. Yeah, and we need to be this. Uh, that that's what our marriages need. We need to be we need to be confessors and forgivers. Mm-hmm. We need to be known in our marriages as confessors to each other and forgivers of yeah. each other. And to stay current with our forgiveness and to be forgiving of one another. This is one of those, there's probably like 50 of them in the Bible. Whenever I, I meet with uh, with couples and, and we talk about their marriage, we I, I have them get a look up on Google or something, look up in a concordance, all the one another verses. Mm-hmm. And here's a, here's a big one right here, forgiving one another. Yeah. There are so many, if like if these couples at the bare minimum yeah. just put into practice the one another verses, yeah. their marriage are completely changed. In fact, many times for our homework assignments and counseling sessions, I would say, okay, here's two one another verses. you got to yeah. practice this week. And this is a huge one. Yeah. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So yeah. we have a summary here at the end. Here's how you are not to be. Yeah. Here's how you are to be. Professor D, what are your closing thoughts? How do you land the plane tonight? You know, it's it, you know the way this this chapter kind of closes. Kind of really, it's kind of like um, it's, what's the word? It, it's very bookending. Uh, too often, we as believers focus on, on what to do, uh, an effort that needs to be made, and mm. and that effort is, is is what it says in verse three. So, what is the effort that that that, that has to be made? Make every effort to stay united with the Spirit. Mm. Make every effort to, to stay united with the Spirit. In other words, focus on God. 
Focus on Jesus. When we focus on Jesus, who he is, let that impact us on, on who we need to be, and emphasis on there on the be, and how we should be. You know, uh, we, we don't focus on bearing fruit. I think that's a lot, a, a big mistake that I think a lot of us have made is like, you know, I got to focus on, on being more loving. I, I got to focus on, and I, I think that the intent is in the right place, but I think the focus is on the wrong spot. I think the focus has to be on Jesus himself. We need to focus on Jesus. Mm. Notice throughout this chapter, what, what is Paul? Paul doesn't say as much, again, that that do this or, or, or so much as he says, be this. Almost always Paul tells you, be this, mm. not do this. Why? Because what we be leads to what we do ultimately. Wow. And, and look again, be humble, be gentle, be patient. The, look, the, that's like right there in the text. Being those things only happens when, again, verse 3, when we focus and unite with the Spirit. And I, and I think to me, that has been kind of one of the big, again, because again, I used to be a guy who was like, I got to be more loving. I got to be more kind. You know, you know, that kind of almost puts like, like if I can somehow generate it myself. I can't generate it myself. But I can hang with the guy who does it. I can focus on the guy who does it and then let him do it in me and through me. If I could take your words and, and put something cute and cheesy with it. <laughs> You go back up to verse, oh, what is it? In verse 13, we all, until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. Mm -hmm. So now that knowledge mm -hmm. leads to the being. Yeah. So now you know things. Now you are to be a certain way. And yeah. the being is just, it, it influences your doing. Yeah. So here's the cheesy part. This is Scooby-Doo's long lost cousin, no be do. <laughs> so what do you need to know? How should you be and what should you do? Yeah. So, so Scooby-Doo's cousin, Nobidoo. All right, there's your cheesy example. Nobidoo. How, how I, and it just so happens that Paul is very concerned about building up to the knowledge of the Son of yeah. God. There's a unity there. Yeah. How I land the plane tonight is there's something that stood out to me. I had something ready to go, but something else stood out to me that illustrates it well. It is in verse 18, due to the hardness of their heart. And what it comes down to, you're never going to be able to, to, to intentionally take off the old self and put on the new self unless you have a soft heart. Yeah. And a soft, a soft heart is a heart that's willing to be confronted, mm -hmm. is willing to, to, to repent. David had a soft heart yeah. where he did unthinkable, unimaginable, abhorrent sin. Yeah. And then he got called upon it and then he repented yeah. and he wrote Psalm 51. Yeah. That was a soft heart. And, that, and he was a man that for God's own heart. Yeah. So it's like, we need to be that way. Right. So a soft heart now looks at my situation and says, you know what? I was wrong. I'm going to own it. And yeah. I'm going to change. I'm going to repent. I'm going to stay intentional the rest of my days, taking off or putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And so where that's applicable is in your life, see yourself in terms of a story. You've got a story that is before Christ, before yeah. you were saved, before yeah. you, you, by grace through faith, you acknowledge, before you trusted in Jesus alone, that's the old you. Yeah. Okay, and now, do you have something that's different about you, or you should at least have something different about you as the new you in Christ? Because now you're created uh, in, in the, the righteousness of, uh, created after the likeness of God, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holy. There's something about you now that is is righteous and holy. Yeah. So if you, Christian, are sitting out there, those of you listening to my voice right now, you're, you, you, you've got, you're looking at your life and you realize that the old you is sometimes the current you. 
your response is to repent. Yeah. Your response is to put off that old you and to stay intentional yeah. about, oh, there's that old me again, that old me who had a bad attitude and I was I had a foul language and I was angry and I, I hurt people and I just was bitter. And No, no, no. Put that, you have to stay intentional about repenting and putting yes. that old you off. That old you is going to raise the ugly head all the time and become the current you. You got to stay intentional. You got to have somebody in your life who is saying, hey, the old you is coming back around again. You need to repent. You need to turn away. You have to be receptive to that. So when the old you comes around, you have to stay intentional about putting off and then stay intentional about putting on Christ. I mean, one of the best ways of keeping off the old is by putting on the new. Mm. Amen. What a chapter tonight. And we, this Ephesians just keeps getting better. Next week, we're going to be with, looking at some relationships, I believe. And then the armor of God's coming in the following week. This has been Masterclass Theology from Ephesians chapter 4. As always, I am Big Rev. And I'm still Professor D. Have a good night and God bless. Amen. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode. And I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.